Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everyone. It is Pierce, host of the PJ's Cast. And if you enjoy listening to the PJ's Cast as much as we do recording it, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends no matter what platform you may be on. We love discussing the Chicago Blackhawks and, of course, the game of hockey. But we want to reach this out to a wider audience. And doing all those things really help us out. So once again, if you enjoy the PJ's Cast, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends. And I hope you guys enjoyed the upcoming podcast episode. Welcome everyone yeah. to the PJ's cast. I'm your host Pierce, alongside of my uh, good pal Dunn, but uh, I have a very special guest on, uh, Leah Hextall. What's going on, Leah? Well, right now, Pierce, I am in my car, so I hope you guys can hear me okay. Oh. I'm just traveling home to uh, Brandon, Manitoba right now oh, to go to see my it. family. I love yeah. to hear it. So, I'm actually from uh, Western Canada too. I'm from uh, Edmonton. I live in Edmonton, and so yeah, it's uh, nice to hear that. So, uh with every interview we have on, we've asked them what they've been doing during uh, COVID to stay, I guess, sane. Like, I, a lot of people have binge-watched uh, Netflix shows or picked up a new hobby, and I'm just wondering if you did any of that. Well, Pierce, I actually worked right through the pandemic because yeah. besides broadcasting, I also worked in politics for the Premier of Manitoba. So when COVID hit... In the political world, it was an unknown, and there was no playbook for it. As, yeah. You know, political leaders of how do you handle shutdowns? What kind of funding do you need to do? So I was working the entire time through in the political spectrum. So I really haven't had a break, but I will say, just like everybody else, um, you know, there has been a lot of binging TV shows and mm-hmm. watching a lot of streaming and and whatnot. But my favorite thing that I've actually got back to because there's you know we haven't been able to travel the way that you know, perhaps you normally would in the summertime to other places. 
I really spent a lot of time with my family camping and fishing, which is something I did when I was young because I yeah. grew up in northern Manitoba. So we got back to that. I actually just was camping for Canada Day long weekend. Got a personal best for walleye, 25 inches, three short of a master. So it was my big oh, guy, wow. my personal best. So we've been doing a lot of that during the pandemic in the summer months. And I have to say it's been fabulous. Well, it's good to hear that you've been uh, hanging out with family because I think uh, this whole pandemic has made us realize uh, how important our family is, and that's that's awesome to hear. So, um, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, we're gonna get into the questions here, and uh, Schmidt, you uh, you have the floor now. Uh, yeah. So I just um I just had a question just in general. Um, so I was just looking over your uh, career, and I saw how basically your career shifted from uh, radio to play-by-play and it just seems like you've kind of been all like you've worked almost everywhere it looks like and you've had so many different experiences I was just wondering how that process has been to become a play-by-play announcer over the years yeah Dylan it's a great can I call you Schmitty Dylan you can call me Schmitty yeah 100 percent it's fine yeah (laughs) you can call me Hexy if you want because that's what most people call me anyway so we can be best buds right off the hop here no um, what I will tell you is that you know my career started in Brandon Manitoba my hometown and I was very fortunate to get a job in the sports department there and I've always been uh in television and then started to go into radio after that as well um I'm you know just contribution like contribution level but um I started in Brandon I worked two years there, small station, covering the Brandon Wheat Kings in the Western Hockey League. That was my first beat. And local junior hockey league. So it really laid the foundation for everything that came after it. Because when you work in a small station, you do it all, right? Like, you know, you're cutting your own stories and producing your own sports casts and, you know, reporting, anchoring, doing it all. So it was such a gift early on. And then from there, I went to CTV in Winnipeg, worked there for seven years. Um, spent some time bouncing back between CTV Winnipeg and TSN substituting on sports center doing some gigs for tsn but couldn't kind of get that full-time job with tsn and then i got a really big break in 2012 when i was hired by nesson in boston and that stands for the new england sports network yeah. who is the home of the boston red sox and the boston bruins so you go down to boston and as you guys know all they do is win down there it's title town <laughs> and you're dealing with the likes of tom brady and the patriots you're covering the red sox who went on to win a world series while i was there the boston <laughs> bruins went to the final against the chicago the Blackhawks in the yep. abbreviated season in the lockout, right? So, you know, and then it's two who were in a rebuilding phase at the time, but you're still getting that NBA flavor. So, all of a sudden, you're on this stage where you're covering the biggest teams on all levels, and it really changed the way I think that people in Canada, networks in Canada, viewed me when I was in Winnipeg, compared to when I was in Winnipeg. And from there, when sports got the rights for the NHL in Canada, they signed their historic 12-year, $5.2 billion deal, um, I received a job offer from them to come work for Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada as a host and sideline reporter. And when I walked through the doors in Brandon, that was the goal. And so I jumped at it, left Boston, which, you know, wasn't an easy decision because you're in this incredible market in the United States, which is very hard as a broadcaster to get to, especially a Canadian broadcaster. But this was Hockey Night in Canada, the chance to cover hockey full time. So I went. Fortunately, that didn't quite turn out the way I wanted. Two years in uh, to my time there, they did some layoffs. And unfortunately, I was one of them due to finances. And from there, guys, I couldn't get a job in the industry. I spent months auditioning and I was up for several jobs and I just wasn't getting them and so that's when I pivoted right out of broadcasting and went into politics of all things because I had to get a job I mean I was 
in Brandon living with my mom on unemployment and I needed to get a job. I needed a paycheck. And so I had to get out of the industry, but it was my love. So really what happened was I thought to myself, what can I do? Because as a host reporter, obviously I didn't get those jobs. Something's going on there and the industry was skewing in a different direction. And I just felt like I was being phased out in a way. Also, I was aging, right? And I think what we have to recognize for women is you don't see a ton of 50 plus women on the TV, you know, and whether we like it or not, it's the reality. And I just got a little strategic about it. And I just thought to myself, what is something that I would love to do that I haven't done yet in the industry? And one of the things was call an Olympics, but the Olympics is really hard to get that gig because there's so many people who want it. And I just strategically said, it's time for a woman's voice to call women's hockey. And that's how it really all started. And then from there, I made connections in the industry, reached out to Sportsnet, who had the Canadian Women's Hockey League package. And, you know, I spoke to Doc Emmerich, which was just such a gift. And he told me, just go to a junior game and just start trying to earn an empty rink anywhere and just watch a game and call it and see how you do. So I went to Manitoba Moose Games because I'm located in Winnipeg and have a relationship with them from covering them for seven years. And they gave me a booth, and I just used to record myself. And I, I tell you, boys, I was horrible, but I loved it. <laughs> and I reached out to Sportsnet to the same gentleman who laid me off. Um, you know, and that's why you never burn bridges, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Was completely open to it, and Sportsnet as a company was so open to it. And I had so much support there, and I started calling the Canadian Women's Hockey League beside Cassie Campbell Pascal, and that's where the play-by-play began. But you know, sorry, long-winded long-winded answer but that was really the journey to it it's nothing that I ever grew up dreaming to do because I never saw didn't even think it was something I could do because you didn't see women doing it um but then it almost came out of a necessity of me saying what do I still want to do in my career and got a little strategic about it and now you know it's been a lot of work but I've fallen completely in love with it and uh here I am next fall gonna head and down and work for ESPN and call some games in the National Hockey League, which is completely thrilling. Yeah, that's it's, awesome. You said it was a long-winded answer. I thought that was a perfect answer. It's always great to hear the journeys, all the ups and downs. But uh, I'm, I'm, it's it's so awesome to hear that story and all again all the ups and downs you had to go through, and now uh, being able to uh, do play-by-play games for ESPN. Uh, I, I just think that's awesome. Um, I know it's a little bit off topic, but uh, you covered the Brandon Weekings, but um, I'm just wondering if you saw any like uh, future NHL stars there while you were there. Oh, there was there was so many of them in the Western League at that time. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to think here, like um, you know, Andrew Ladd, Dion Phaneuf, Mark Stone, Ryan Pulak. Um, got the the list. Eric Fisher was playing on the weekends at the time. Jordan Tutu was on the on the team at the time. Um, So many guys who played within the American Hockey League. Um, there were so many, so many guys. I I remember because in that time, uh, especially the twenty. I guess it would be the 2004-2005 season when the lockout happened in the yeah. NHL. Junior hockey really took over because there was no hockey up in Canada. And that was the year the Wheat Kings went all the way to the final. And I remember they were playing against the Hitmen, and Dion Phaneuf was playing for them. He was just like this mountain man, right? Wow. But, like, there so many. There, you know, there were so many players at the time, and unfortunately they're not all popping up in my brain. But I can't believe the amount of future NHLers, because you can think about that 2005 draft, it was so Western dominated. And when you look at that class and, you know, so 
uh, there were so many stars in the making. And, and that's the beauty about junior hockey is when you can say that you have been watching a player since they were 16, 17, 18 years of age mm-hmm. and watching them do what they do in the National Hockey League and the careers that they build. I mean, a great example of that, and if you guys have time for a story, because I know you guys ca- uh, talk about the Blackhawks, yeah. is Jonathan Taves. And I, I got a let's great little story, but you guys want to hear it. Yeah, let's I'm hear so it. happy to see that he's back on the ice, first oh, and foremost. It's wonderful to see him back. Um, we're thrilled about that. But so I obviously I started my career in Manitoba. Jonathan is a Manitoba boy. Yep. And mm-hmm. when I was working in Brandon, I you know I was very new, and and I got this assignment. I needed to go out to a small town outside of Brandon because they were having a tournament. I believe that it was Surrey that the tournament was happening because there was this kid from Winnipeg who was playing. Bantam tournament, which means 14 and under. Yep. And there's this kid from Winnipeg, and there's going to be tons of scouts there, and he's just supposed to be this phenom. Lo and behold, I go out to the game, it's Jonathan Taves that I'm watching. <laughs> and I tell you guys, Bantam, the way he plays, there was no mistaking he was making the National Hockey League. There was no mistaking it. Even though he was so young, and you know, so much can happen, you could see it in him in that age, just the way he felt, just everything about him. So above everyone else on the ice in younger years of hockey, but this was different. And I'll never forget it because afterwards, you know, I was doing a story on him, so I asked for him to come out. And, you know, it's a little rural rink, and the carpet that they have leading out, they put these little, you know, pieces of rope around it so nobody walks across it in order to protect (laughs) the so nobody gets their skates hurt, right? So Jonathan's coming out to talk to me, and I was just positioned right outside the rope. And it was just a low little rope, and I guess he thought I was just going to put my mic over and talk to him while he stood in the carpet, but he thought he should come closer to me. Remember, he's 14 years of age. He tripped on the rope. Oh, wow. And he, he managed to catch himself, but he was his face, I'll never forget his face, went beat red. He was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. And it was, that was my introduction to Jonathan James. And it's so funny because, you know, I've, I've had a chance to, you know, interview Jonathan so many times and catch up with him so many times. And every time we see each other, uh, you know, he's just a gem. But I will say about that story about Jonathan is I think that should speak to a lot of, you know, if there's anybody who has kids listening to this podcast. I mean, Jonathan, you know, he played Banton and then he went to Shattuck St. Mary's and, you know, and he, you know, then went on to play in college. And at that time, that's not what you did. You know, you played in the Western League if you were going to get drafted. And you took a completely different path. But you should also tell parents that if your kid is special, because only, you know, what, 1% of people make the NHL. We've got to remember that. Yep. If your kid mm-hmm. is truly special, there was about 20 scouts in the audience. They will find them. You don't need to be putting them in 20 camps. You don't need to be spending all this money. If your kid is that special that they're going to make the NHL, it doesn't matter where they play or the route they take. These scouts are so good. And now, with how connected we all are, you don't need to be doing any of that. Let your kids be kids. Let them play other sports. Jonathan did. All the NHLers did. Even the current ones, like Connor McDavid. They all play Mm -hmm. multiple sports and you know, and, and Jonathan, to me, I always tell people that it's a great story about if they're special, they will be found. And Jonathan Tays was found, and look what he's done. Yeah, yep. yeah 100%. Ups and uh, months later. And, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> double golds. Don't forget about the Canadian yeah. gold. Yeah, can't forget. Oh, yeah, double gold medals. Like. <laughs> and he's got a World Cup of hockey under his belt. That's probably the biggest thing he's got. Absolutely. Yeah, and I actually covered that World Cup for ESPN, and uh, – 
he was so gracious to me because when I was talking to him, I made a mistake about a junior team he was on. And I remember thinking to myself when I'm saying it, because his face kind of looked a little cute. But he was so classy, and he just went along with it, answered my questions if he played on that team. And afterwards, I went, thanks for doing solid, bud, because I screwed that up. So uh, he's such a class act. He's just really such a great kid. And I shouldn't call him a kid anymore, but I still think of him as that 14-year-old yeah, bandit kid yeah. who walked down and tripped over the rope. <laughs> I still, I think we still think of him as the 23-year-old lifting Stanley Cups for the Blackhawks. So, <laughs> like, we all see him as a young kid still. It's crazy to think that they're Kane and Taves, Kane and Taves, and Crosby and Ovechkin are all getting to like their mid thirties now. It's getting wild. Like, <laughs> I know it makes me feel old is what it does. It makes me feel very old. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, I had a question just about um. So you were talking about at uh, a little while back how you um so you're starting at ESPN next year doing play by play, which is awesome. We I think all of us here can stay. And Jimmy would he, if he was here, he'd say as well. We're all super excited for the ESPN Turner deal. Like we're just over the moon about it. And um, I w- we were just kind of wondering um, what do you think uh what would you think would be your, uh, your personal number one approach to attracting new uh eyes to the product because that's always been a conversation between us how we can expand the game more and uh what we what ways the nhl should go in the future so i was just curious what uh your thoughts are on that absolutely and i think it's such a great question it's it's i think it's the the most exciting part guys of what's going to happen next year with the rights being changed because you have new energy new thought process coming into how the game will be presented and i myself just really excited to see what ESPN comes to us with about how we will present the game. But I think we could all take a lesson just from last night. So I know no matter how you feel, I know Canadian fans didn't like it, but Nikita Kucherov, yes, he came in a little moved up with some booze in him yeah. after winning his second Stanley Cup. But I watched that entire Zoom this morning, actually, because I saw pieces of it last night. And, you know, the fact that he was being himself, you know, swearing, excited, talking about his teammates, like, you know, he just talks about Vass and he just, you know, and he gave a bit of trash talk and, you know, it generated, it generated buzz. And so often I feel that the hockey culture is that these players can't say anything without getting reprimanded. And so it keeps them in this box when so many of them have these wonderful personalities and you see it in the NFL, you see it in the NBA. And I'm just hoping that with ESPN and Turner, because Turner with, you know, and ESPN with the way they covered the NBA, the way they covered the NFL, I mean, I really hope that we get the players into a new realm where they feel more comfortable, that they can be themselves and talk about the game in the way that I truly believe the fan wants to see them. And I would like to see the NHL and its players become a little bit more loose and unbuckle it a bit and let us back inside a bit more to these players so that they feel that they can be more of themselves. So that's my greatest hope for it is that we just we kind of loosen it up a bit and have a bit more fun. Yeah. Um, just like regarding Nikita Kucherov last night, I mean, you could disagree with them, but again, like you said, a generated buzz and, you know, we always criticize hockey players for not speaking out and being more like showing their personality more. But then when they do that, people get mad. It's just it's the same feel, people, too. Yeah. And I feel <laughs> like the NHL, there's not enough villains. And watching Tampa Bay win last night and Absolutely. like Kucher, watching Kucherov win. And I mean, say all you want about like the 
like them being uh, almost $20 million over the cap and the whole Kucherov situation, but they are a villain. Whoever takes them down, like it's going to be David versus Goliath next year, mm-hmm. whoever tries to take down Tampa Bay. And, you know, uh, and here's, you know, this is, this is something, you bring up such a good point here yeah. about the villain aspect. And, you know, this is something too that I really dislike about the game, and I'll totally say it. You know, the, you know, I would fire my social media person for putting out a congrats to this team that they just lost to for winning a series or the Stanley Cup over them. <laughs> they do it immediately. It's like, shut up. <laughs> I mean, what? Like, are you kidding me? Have you? Do you have a competitive vote in your body? Yeah, you gonna give I mean, them a pat on the back? Like what? That? I mean, no, no, no. And I'm one of these people, and I get beat up about this, but I don't like the handshake line. You know, last mm-hmm. night is the exact example of it. You know, I get that people think it's the greatest tradition in sport, and I used to love it. But when you start covering these players. You saw it last night. These men are crying on one knee, yeah. and you're making them stay out there to watch another team celebrate, not for 30 seconds, for like five to seven minutes. And they should almost put a clock on it, which they're never going to do. And I don't want the other team not to celebrate. They have every right. They won the freaking Stanley Cup. But to make these players, like, I'm still upset I lost my provincial grade 12 badminton <laughs> championship, right? I, mm-hmm. I'm still, like, Seething about it that I missed that opportunity. And this is a Stanley Cup. And I just look at those players and I, I disagree with the handshake line. I think that they should be able to go back into the room as soon as it's done. And, you know, I don't, I just, sportsmanship, this, this, this is not a participation medal. This is the National Hockey League. These men are, you know, the blood, sweat, tears. And I'm not even, you know, you hear about what happens. You know the injuries that happen afterwards, oh, and Lord, I just man. think that Lauren getting a freaking rod put in his leg, forcing <laughs> to play. Are you kidding me? I'd be passed out on the ground. So I'm just saying, like, I love the villain aspect. I, you know, social media has kind of changed things. These guys all train together now, so there's kind of this feeling of why well, train with this guy in the summer in LA, and we live it mm-hmm. up. So I miss. The 80s and 90s where these guys freaking hated each other. Yeah, yeah. And I want some of that back. And so I love the idea of the villains. And you know what? I don't... Listen. Julian Griswold is a freaking genius. Yep. Just like oh, in yeah. 2010 with Patrick Kane when they won the cup. That is called being a GM and being strategic. There is a loophole in it. Take advantage of it. And if your team can have a player like Nikita Kucherov sit out the entire season and still dominate and get to the playoffs, you deserve to play that card. You have created a team that can do that. That's strategy. And so anybody who's going to complain about it, tough luck. Then get it changed. And nobody's asking to change it. So you know what? That's a great play by the GM. And he deserves full credit for that move. Yeah, I've been saying this like the whole playoffs. It's not really Tampa baseball at all. It's the it's league. Gonna, if like, you're gonna blame anyone, blame the league because yeah. it's the league's rule. But like at the same time, I was mad about it for a while, and then around the third round, I just kind of shut up and I was like, you know what? Let them win this cup. They're 17 mil over the cap. They're gonna lose their entire third line. So yeah. I, mean, I will. I will watch it happen in the off season. They got to win this yeah. year because they're losing a lot of pieces this offseason. Because I'm sorry, they cannot protect yeah. every piece from Seattle. It's impossible. <laughs> no. And, and like, no, I, 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 I even said that last night. Like, John Cooper said, you know, 
this it's been a theme for them and they spoke about it a couple times in the room that this group will not be together next year due to expansion due to the cap and it being flat especially so you know good for them though i mean tampa bay was a joy to watch i mean people don't give them enough credit after they got swept in 2019 yeah. against columbus and they were just this high-flying octane offensive machine they learned how to be defensive and they could mm-hmm. play a game where they could beat you 5-4 and outscore you or they could beat you one nothing like they did last yep. night and one nothing against the Islanders just mm-hmm. to get there. So, you know what? Like, full credit to the way this team has evolved. It is one of the most complete teams, if not the most complete team in my life that I have seen. Yeah, I 100% agree. And the thing this year that was way better than last year, in my opinion, is they had that third line with Gord, Coleman, and Gaudreau. Yeah. And it was – it is – if any team in the league has a line like that, they are competitive every night because that line can score and it gets under the other team's skin like it's another like it's nobody's business. And I'm very Absolutely. curious to see how Tampa fills those holes because I doubt Coleman and Gaudreau are coming back for sure because Coleman's going to get paid. There's not a doubt in my mind Coleman gets like – Coleman's getting more than five this offseason. He had a great regular season and postseason, but like – I'm just very curious to see how, like, uh, Tampa's obviously just won. They can have their celebration, but Bruce Bois got his hands full this offseason, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it ha- how it transpires. Yeah, it, it's going to be, it definitely is going to be interesting. And then you look at the other side of that coin for Montreal and everything that Bergevin did to get that team to where it needed to be, and now they weren't expected to do this. They have done it. The expectations are going to soar in Montreal, which is such a major market. Mm-hmm. That it will be very interesting to see how they handle this next season because the expectation is, well, we went to the Stanley Cup final last year. It doesn't matter that they were underdogs. People are going to forget that in their mm-hmm. fan base, and everybody's going to expect them to be very successful again next year. And, you know, they've got a lot of amazing pieces to the puzzle there, so we'll see. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean... They got they have eleven draft picks, I think, this year too. Like they, they can basically do whatever they want this offseason. And I I mean I mean I just have to give my hat tip my hat to Mark Vergervan and Carrie Price, but like Yeah. I mean yeah. Carrie yeah, Price kinda saved right. everyone's job. Like we can kind of all agree, but wow. Like I mean, he got to Foley. To Foley was I mean he granted he didn't do anything in the cup final, but Tyler Toffoli was a huge part of this team this year, and that was a great signing by Bergevin. Yeah, and I mean, I as much as it as much as it pains me to say it, getting Eric Gustafson at the trade deadline probably was a huge asset. <laughs> the first couple rounds, like he made some very like quiet moves that helped out. Getting Corey Perry helped a lot too. As yeah, it might be the likes of Jay Perry, and I think people forget about that. You know. Corey Perry, yeah, because of his age and, and whatnot, you don't want to play him more than 30 games a regular season, and that's okay because it's what he does for you in the playoffs yeah. because he's a playoff mm-hmm. player. And there are just certain players that are playoffs, and he's one of them. And so the way they utilized him through the season and the fact that he was willing to do, yes, I will take a depleted role because he knew when he was going to be needed, and I thought that was great management as well by the coach and the GM. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I like. I did like the way um, uh, Ducharme was deploying his lines. The only thing I never really got, I understood, was why Datar didn't even get slotted in the playoffs this year. Like, I feel like that's a guy who's going to get signed by another team this off season and is going to go right back to doing what he does in the regular season and be like a forty fifty point guy. But 
I mean, like the fact that it, you would like look at Montreal's lines, and if you asked anyone, they would say there's no way that team made the Cup final, and they did, and they looked very damn competitive most of the time when they did. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's just hats off to the Habs. Also, Nick Suzuki had his coming out party for the rest of the yeah. world. Everyone knows about that kid now. <laughs> He's he was fantastic this playoff. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. And this, again, like you brought up, like they made the Stanley Cup final. This is a huge offseason for them because they're going back to the Atlantic. You're still going to be facing Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, Florida. It's it's going to be tough for them, but uh, you, you look how, how their future is set up, like, this year, I think they did such a good job of combining old players with young players. Like, obviously, we brought up Carey Price, Shea Weber, Corey Perry, but then you mix in guys like uh, Cole Caulfield, uh, Nick Suzuki, and Esperi Kokniemi, which I still don't understand why they scratched, but, uh, you know, Me neither. They, still got a, they still got a bright future in front of them. And you even just look at their prospects coming up. Uh, Alex Romanoff, again, another guy. He got into the lineup, scored a goal in uh, Game 4 in their win, and um, I think they drafted they drafted Caden Gooley. Like these young guys are only going to get get better. And then you also have Caden Primo, who's a nice goaltending prospect. They got a nice future. Like I don't think everything's not lost there, but uh, they definitely have a tough off season ahead of them. They're going to have a tough season, uh, regular season ahead of them, because they can get it done in the playoffs. But I mean, if this was a regular season, they probably don't make the playoffs. So. They definitely have a challenge, but uh, they got they do have the pieces, and I'm really interested to see uh, what they do in this upcoming uh, off season and regular season. Yeah. Another thing, like with Tampa Bay, what made those back-to-back cups so impressive is not only did they win in a bubble, but then you go from a completely empty arena to arena with fans, and you do it in a little over 10 months. I mean, that's just incredible, all the hockey you played. Uh, and I think the most important part, like what that has to do to your mental health, being away from family, because um, last year, I don't think family was able to travel up there to Edmonton when it was in the bubble. And I know 
um, in Montreal. Like, their families weren't allowed to travel up there either. So, um, maybe it was a good thing that uh, they lost that game and then came back to Tampa Bay. But, uh, yeah, hmm. uh, again, just, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what you think about the Tampa Bay Lightning. What they just did was might be the most impressive back-to-back cup runs ever, really, in NHL history, just considering all the circumstances. Yeah. I, right, the so. only thing I'll say about back-to-back cup runs is people do sleep on Pittsburgh's back-to-back. They oh, won yeah, that second. That was like, yeah. They won that second one with like not like strings on defense. Like it's insane how they won that second one. But yeah, Tampa Tampa's is impressive just because the one they didn't have Stamkos. The next year they didn't have Kucherov the whole regular That's season. Thing. Yeah. yeah, they didn't have Stamkos the whole first one. Like it was literally like if you look at the stats from that first Stanley Cup they won last year, it was literally point Kucherov, Hedman, Palat. That was yeah. all that was scored for them. And Vasilevsky was shutting the door because he always does. <laughs> well deserved like, Colin Smythe, by the oh way. Oh my last gosh, game. I was going to throw a riot if you didn't Smythe. You should have won the Vesna, too, in my opinion. But that's because yeah, uh, I don't care what anyone says. Fleury had better stats, but they have Robin Leonard they can throw in any night. I promise you the Lightning lose every game of that series of Curtis McElhaney's in that. I nah. promise you. <laughs> the only time the Blackhawks have beaten the Lightning the last two years is when that guy's been in that. Not when Vasilevsky's yeah. been in that. <laughs> And he's, I don't even, I don't think he turns 27 till like later in July. It's just he's crazy. Just scratching his Five straight series clinching shutouts and two of them to win the cup. Unbelievable. 13 and, uh, 0 after, or I think it's 14 and 0 after a loss now, after last night uh, and like yeah. a 950 save percentage. It's, he's actually goofy. <laughs> yeah. Temple Bay just in general is, is goofy. Like the, the run they've been on the past, not even year. It's, it's been amazing. like five years. Since they since the 2015 conference. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that that too. I think they have six conference finals appearances in the yep. last decade, and two Stanley Cups now, three Stanley Cup appearances. It's a uh, not pretty bad. Good. Yeah, pretty <laughs> good. Um, but uh, uh Schmitty, do you have anything else to add here? Um, no, I think um, I think we're all set. I was just um, maybe one last question is uh, are you are, how excited is everyone at ESPN for the expansion drafts in a couple weeks? Because I know that's going to be. Like that whole week is just going to be a week of silly season. Silly season. So, I'm. I was just wondering if you if you are just as excited as we are for the expansion drafts and the drafts and free agency and all that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be as you just mentioned. They're all just happening in one week. It's just crazy that it's just going to be boom, 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 boom. But it's going to give us an idea of what we're going to be looking forward to next season. So I'm I'm really excited about it because now I can kind of get a look of what the teams are going to look like next year, and I can start. You know, learning the league, which will then be 32 teams, um, which is truly exciting to see Seattle come in. So yeah. I'm looking forward to the expansion draft. It's always got some drama behind it. I don't think that Seattle's going to make out the way that Vegas did. I think that the GMs are going to be making side deals and picks just to protect the player that they can't protect. I think they just all accepted we're going to lose someone. We're not selling the farm just to protect certain players because we did that last time. And look what happened. Yeah. Vegas is that yeah. right contender uh you know so i don't think seattle and ron francis are going to make out quite the way vegas did but i still think it's going to be very interesting i think we're going to be really got a nice uh, half hour conversation in, and uh, leah it was so much fun to have you on us so uh, a lot so of fun much. to hear that jonathan taves story and uh best of luck at uh, espn coming up in the regular season uh it's going to be awesome to hear you doing play-by-play announcing and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime down the road well, Pierce, thank you for having me on. You guys have a safe and wonderful summer. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Can't wait for next season and talking more hockey. Sounds good. All right. Uh, have a good one. Enjoy the rest of your uh, day. Have a good day. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thanks, guys.